0: This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show.
1: Just past about of the hour on the RPR Network, it's Real Presence Live, Matt Wilcom and Father Jason Kern. Good to be with you this morning. We are coming to you from the Pastoral Center in Winona on a Monday morning, and this Final interview, Father Kern, I've been looking forward to for quite a long time. And this, this past century that I'm talking about, the 20th century, the century that I was born in, I, I can't yeah, right. believe how, I, I'm already 40. I can't believe it. Happens it happens quick, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> I can say that I'm a child of the 70s, just barely. And there's a lot that happened, uh, I was born during the Cold War.
0: Hmm.
1: And uh, a, a, a lot of people now nowadays can't say that. Uh, but, the, and, and we can forget so easily the history that happened during that period, and there's a book that just came out that can help us to, to go back and, and to see what happened during that time and throughout that whole century, actually, and how, it, how the, the papacy shaped the response uh, of the church and the world as it went on and helped to, in some cases, I think, save the world from itself and we've got Russell Shaw on the line. Thanks so much, Russell Shaw, for joining us on Real Presence Live.
2: Well, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be with you.
1: And we're talking about your new book, Eight Popes and the Crisis of Modernity. Uh, first of all, Russell, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. Um, I'm a native of Washington, D.C., born and raised here, went to school here, and have uh, spent uh, all of my adult life here. Uh, married to my wife and i and just a few weeks we'll be celebrating our 62nd wedding anniversary if you can imagine that
1: beautiful Wow.
2: we have uh five children five to ten grandchildren and one one great-grandchild up to this time uh i've spent most of my working life as a, a writer and journalist i uh Worked for a number of years for the Catholic News Service, covering, as a matter of fact, the Supreme Court as well as other other big stories. Um, and uh, I uh, started writing early, um, even when I uh, when I was even when I was holding down a full time job. I kept moonlighting at, at my writing. My first book was. Uh, published in 1961, for goodness sake. It was a novel, and since then I've written uh, 22 other books, of which uh, <clears throat> Eight Popes and the Crisis of Modernity is, is number 23. So there you are. I enjoy writing. Um, if I didn't enjoy it, I, I'd long since have quit, but I keep at it because uh, I learn a lot from every book I write, and certainly from this book, I, I, doing the research and the reading, I learned a great deal.
1: You know, Russell Shaw, what inspired you to write this book, Eight Popes in the Crisis of Modernity?
2: Well, I kind of backed into it. Actually, I'd uh, committed to writing a, uh, a series of short profiles of, of these popes for a national Catholic newspaper, our Sunday Visitor. Uh, but as I got into that project, I, I quickly reached, reached the uh, conclusion that I had much more material. And much more extremely interesting material than I could possibly cram into the space of uh, short, short, 12 or 1400 word profiles. So I figured I would I would take my hand at, at uh, turning the profile profiles of the popes into a history of the papacy in the 20th century uh, against the background of world history, and, and try to indicate the uh, the interaction between the popes and, and the history of their times. Looking for a a theme to hang it all together, I I hit on the subject of the human person, I think, you know, the uh, attacks on the dignity and sanctity of human life uh, took various forms throughout the 20th century, but unfortunately they continued all during that that era. And uh, each of these popes, in his own way, uh, had to respond to that threat to the dignity and sanctity of human life as he experienced it in his time and as we continue to experience it in our day. So that's pretty much how I got there um, you Now through a, a backwards process. I didn't start out to write a book, but uh, my investigations of the subject I was working on led me to believe that a, a book would be rather important and, I hope, interesting reading as well. I, th- I think, Russell,
1: uh, some of us when we think of the word modernity or something being modern uh, we think maybe more often uh, that that's a good thing that you know we've got modern conveniences here in this modern age we can do so many things from a technological standpoint but as we've seen uh, mankind has not always used that technology in a way that is truly beneficial or that lifts up the human dignity that we all have in your book you point out 3 different people who kind of laid the groundwork to erode the sense of human dignity. Uh, can, can you drill down on, on that, these three figures and the, the three different aspects that, that served to, as, for, as kind of a forerunner to what happened, the, the tragedies that happened in the 20th century?
2: Sure. The, uh, the, th- three, the big three there are uh, Charles Darwin, Karl Marx, and Sigmund Freud. Now, let me say at the start that I, I don't think that that, that uh, any one of the, those men set out to try to uh, destroy the uh, the sanctity and dignity of the human person. But I just merely suggest that, without their exactly intending it, the the consequences of uh, their their professional activities, in a variety of ways, uh, had, had that had had that outcome, namely to Undermine our our appreciation for the human person and the rights of human human beings. Uh, Charles Darwin, for example, is the uh, the father of uh, of evolution, which, uh, for biblical f- fundamentalists, shattered their their belief in the uh, direct and immediate uh, creation of, of human beings. It, 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 Put an end to the Adam and Eve story when read as a simple, literal account of history, and re- really rattled a lot of people. I think the Catholic Church was preserved against you know, the, the worst effects of Darwinism by you know, the fact that it, it never subscribed to a strictly literalistic or fundamentalistic reading of Scripture. But nevertheless, the, uh, the impact on you know man's on you know the human person's understanding of who and what he is and how he came to be uh, was affected and not affected for the better by a simple-minded and naive understanding of Darwin's evolutionary theories. Karl Marx, well, that's pretty obvious. Marx sent out to be set out to be a uh, social reformer, I suppose, but he, you know, in, unintentionally gave birth to a whole. Uh, totalitarian system which uh, as we know in the case of the Soviet Union and as we're unfortunately experiencing now in the case of China uh, shows precious little respect for the individual person but submerges individuals in a a sort of mass man a mass culture, a mass society in which individuals can be sacrificed to, to the good of the whole state, the whole mass movement as it were that's, that's what Marxism and Soviet communism came to be in the 20th century. And Sigmund Freud, finally, was a, uh, a physician and a psychoanalyst, the father of a of school of psychoanal- psychoanalysis. And again, he set out to try and help people, relieve people of their anxieties and their emotional quirks and, and illnesses. But uh, his theorizing about the... Uh, the source of, uh, of some of the mental illnesses that he was dealing with led him to reduce his, his understanding of the human person to uh, a bundle of uh, subconscious drives and uh, and uh, overwhelming passions, which uh, in many cases uh, reflect a very perverse uh, orientation. So that 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 was the net effect of Freud, Freud and Freudism, I'm sorry to say, although, you know, it doesn't, that doesn't say anything at all about uh, psychological uh, therapies of, of the present time, but in Freud's time, it was pretty, uh, pretty. it had a strong impact, particularly on writers and on, on eventually through, through literature on popular culture, and the effect of Freudianism in, in, the, in that area has has not been uh, to uphold the dignity of, of the human person, something quite contrary
3: so as we look at the the progressive thought here uh, that we see in these thinkers and then how it has affected the church, we know that uh, like I believe Pius X called modernism the heresy the synth- synthesis of all heresies, right this kind of bringing together of all. Uh, what is modernism though, if we talk about it as a radical secularism um kind of this progressivist movement um what are we talking about exactly um and w- why is the church so concerned about uh, modernism as such that it's even priests used to take an oath against modernism up until the sixties, and so we have this kind of understanding of um of rejection against this 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 Movement uh, away from faith, away from um, the understanding of man as as a, a adopted son or daughter of God. But how how do you would define modernism? What is what, how do you understand it?
2: Okay, well to begin with, I'd make a distinction between uh, two two realities here. On the one hand, you have modernism, and on the other hand, you have modernity. I'll take modernity first. Modernity is is a summary word. Uh, the the modern era, which began in the 17th century, in which I argue and others argue ended sometime during the 20th century. And the uh, modernity witnessed uh, tremendous uh, technological and scientific advances in in, uh, uh, human knowledge and human capacities, but it also failed to uh, bring about a a parallel advance in our capacity to put our new knowledge and our new powers to good use. The, uh, the watchword of modernity was, uh, uh, well, it, it was progr- progressivism. There was a, a kind of you know, assumption that in every day, in every way, we're getting better and better, that history is on a steady upward course and things will never, never go back to the bad old days, but everything will always be better and better and we'll be happier and happier and more and more. Well, well off. I think that that notion of, of progressive modernity was pretty well expl- exploded in the course of the 20th century by things like uh, two world wars and uh, and the Holocaust and a lot of other horrors, including I would, I would say in our own times in uh, in the the plague of uh, of abortion that that has swept over our country and other countries and. In, in, the last few decades. Now that's modernity. Uh, mo- modernism is in, in theology. It's a technical name for a particular kind of heresy. It was a heresy which was given that name by Pope Saint Pius X in condemning it. And the essence of modernism, modernism considered as a as a theological heresy, was the uh, the, the reduction of faith, religious faith to a subjective and uh, and individualistic experience. In other words, we believe that faith is our faith as Christians is founded on an object of reality, namely God's revelation is embodied in Jesus Christ and transmitted to us through Christ's church. That's our faith. Uh, the faith, as modernism understood it, was something that human beings spin out of <laughs> Their own psyches. It's a response to a uh, human need, to a, a, a feeling of emptiness without some ca- form of belief, something that people could hang on to and, and believe was real and, and substantial and merited their belief. Now, there's a, me- there's a measure of truth in that, but it's not the whole truth. And as I say, it's fundamentally at odds with and destructive of the belief in the, our, our belief as Christians, as, as faith being grounded in god's revelation to us
1: we'll hold it right there momentarily russell shaw is our guest We're talking about a new book eight popes and the crisis of modernity and when we return we'll discuss how these popes addressed modernity in each of their particular pontificates matt wilcom along with father jason kern you're listening to real presence live more next
3: I chose Mount Marty over at State School because of the small classroom sizes and because of the small faculty to student ratio. I wanna be able to develop a relationship with my professors and not just be a number on the wall. Hello, my name is Mitchell Lonneman. I'm a junior at Mount Marty College and I'm originally from Adrian, Minnesota. You can really develop relationships with your professors, and Mount Marty offers lots of opportunities such as leadership positions and different clubs and activities to participate in.
0: Mount Marty College, experience the momentum.
3: Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio, with a creative gift planning tip. Do you want to make sure Real Presence Radio continues to receive your support in perpetuity?
0: you're listening to real presence live now back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area heard right here on the rpr network 48 minutes past the hour it's real presence live
1: matt wilcom and father jason kern we're at the pastoral center in winona minnesota I kind of rhymed <laughs> We are talking to Russell Shaw about his new book, Eight Popes and the Crisis of Modernity. Welcome back to the show, Russell.
2: Uh, thank you. Good to be with you.
1: And we were talking a little bit about the distinction between modernism and modernity, not mm-hmm. seeing everything as evil, but, but certain things within modernity being twisted and used for evil purposes. And that would be modernism. Um, and you you talk in your book about how these different popes uh, addressed the crisis of modernity. Uh, by by in, in this beautiful book, um, it's it's a great read. It's a short, relatively short read. You pack a lot of information in here. Let's talk about some of the responses of, of these popes. I mean, I'm talking. I'm looking here at the the the, the chapter uh, on Pope Saint Pius the Tenth. Also. Pope Benedict the Fifteenth, who uh, apparently the Holy See, you, you, you outline how they were excluded from the negotiations at the Versailles Treaty after World War One, but he was able to still exercise some influence. Can you discuss that a little bit?
2: Yes. Well, I would say it was of two kinds, really. The Pope, uh, Pope Benedict's in, in positive influence. Uh, first of all, you know, within the the economic limitations of, of the Holy See he and the Vatican mounted and carried out a uh, a large and very significant humanitarian program to uh, try to assist the uh, the, the victims of, of, uh, of World War one and uh I, I think the, he, that earned a lot of credit for uh, for the Vatican and for the church at large but beyond that uh, Pope Benedict also worked hard to Try to head off World War One. Uh, once it had, once and once it had gotten started, to try and bring about its its uh, conclusion. And as a matter of fact, at one point in the war, he uh, he, he floated and pub- publicized a uh, a fairly de- detailed specific uh, peace plan, the Pope's own peace plan for bringing World War One to a conclusion. Now, because the Pope had uh, Chosen wisely, I would say, to maintain formal neutrality throughout the war. <laughs> Neither side of, of World War One was going to pay any attention to what he had to say about about peace. <laughs> but as a matter of fact, there are historians who believe that uh, uh, Pope Benedict's peace plan, in fact, influenced uh, President Woodrow Wilson in his form formulating his peace plan for, uh, for the post-war settlement. So there, there you have it. Uh, the, the Pope worked, worked hard to alleviate human suffering during the war, and he also did what he could without winning much of a hearing for it directly or immediately. He did what he could to bring the war to a conclusion.
3: And so, as you're looking at uh, these different popes and through the, the century, uh, you know we, we often think about kind of um, the church getting brought into modernity through the Second Vatican Council in a par- particular way. What are your thoughts around how the church approached uh, the question of modernity at the Second Vatican Council or around that era? Um, how does the church respond to it in a in a way that it you know we hear the phrase often of opening up the windows of the of the church to let the air out and those mentalities, or others who have said uh, no, it's the church. Let too much in, you know, and they let modernity to kind of influence and take over the culture of the church too much, especially in the liturgy, etc. What are your thoughts around uh, this question of how the church has been influenced and/or has influenced modernity um, regarding the Second Vatican Council specifically?
2: Well, to begin with, in his opening address to uh, Vatican II, uh, Pope John the Twenty Third, now Pope Saint John the Twenty Third made it quite clear that the Council, he had not convened the Council in order to uh, preside over any innovations in the Church's doctrine. On the contrary, what he wanted the Council to do was find means of communicating the Church's teachings, uh, perennial teaching, uh, in ways that would be more, what shall I say, more congenial or more likely to uh, to be comprehensible to and appreciated by uh... modern ears, and uh, i think the, the council looked at in that light did uh, a respectable job of, of corresponding to the the mission that it given, it had been given to it by pope john uh... the exemplary paper of vatican two document in that regard is of course the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world gaudium et Spes it's called um, now, some people criticize Gaudium best for being, what shall I say, too upbeat, taking a too
1: yeah, optimistic view of,
2: of modern developments. And there's some of that in, uh, in the encyclical, in the in papal document, <laughs> excuse me, in the council document. I have to admit that the rhetoric maybe is a little too, too positive and too enthusiastic about some aspects of, of modernity. But uh, the the document also contains a lot of quite hard-headed, realistic uh, criticism of of faults and failings of of the modern era, specifically with regard to the the treatment of human persons and the understanding of human persons, and also on subjects like uh, war and peace and and, uh, the the use of modern weapons and, and things of that nature. So in balance, I would say that the Council as a whole and the document on the Church in the modern world in particular did a pretty good job of uh, carrying out Pope John XXIII's mission to it, namely to apply the Church's perennial teaching in uh, upbeat and uh, contemporary terms to uh, circumstances of the modern world
1: got about a minute left here Russell Shaw talking to, with us about eight popes in the crisis of modernity can you real quickly uh, give us a thumbnail sketch of what pope st paul the 6th did in w- trying to uphold the dignity of human life with humane vitae and how successive popes have tried to carry that torch forward
2: right humane vitae is of course the uh, the best known encyclical of uh, pope st paul vi And at the time it came out in 1968, of course, the encyclical was widely rejected and the Pope was subjected to bitter and really vicious criticism for having published that encyclical. I believe, and many others believe, that uh, what the Pope had to say about contraception and other offenses against human life uh, was eminently correct and has been entirely vindicated, sad to say, by recent events. So... uh, It was a painful experience for the church and a very painful experience for Pope St. Paul VI. But uh, I think we can thank God that uh, the Pope said what he said and said it when he said it. Absolutely.
1: Uh, We're out of time, Russell Shaw. uh, Unfortunately, we we didn't even get to uh, what uh, Pope St. John Paul II has to say about modernity, how his illustrious pontificate addressed that. But uh, Russell Shaw... Eight Popes and the Crisis of Modernity. Where can people get the book?
2: Well, you can get it at Amazon.com. You can get it at BarnesandNoble.com. You can get it at the website of the publisher, Ignatius Press. And I hope that you can find it in many good Catholic uh, bookstores.
1: Excellent. Excellent. I think it's Ignatius.com for Ignatius Press if you'd like to... Uh, help them out. Again, Russell Shaw, Eight Popes and the Crisis of Modernity. Thanks so much for joining us on Real Presence Live.
2: Thank you. It was my pleasure.
1: Well, it's 56 minutes past the hour, Father Jason Kern, which means we are just about out of time. And it's now the time for our technical director, Eli to give a preview of the next episode of Real Presence Live.
3: Eli. Hey, thanks, Matt. had a good show today. Another good one coming up tomorrow morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Central, right here on the Real Presence Radio Network. It'll be hosted by Father Greg Hammond and Brandon Clark, coming to you from our Fargo studios. They'll visit with Jen Messing about finding God in nature's beauty, plus deacons Riley Durkin and Eric Seitz, who are waiting with joyful anticipation for ordination, and Bishop John Fulda of the Diocese of Fargo, talking about racism, violence, and the need for God. All this and a whole lot more is coming up on the next Real Presence Live tomorrow morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Central, right here on the Real Presence Radio Network. Right back to you.
1: Thanks, Eli. Uh, Jen Messing, a good friend of mine, wonderful, wonderful work that she does with ID retreats, uh, letting people know about theology of the body yeah. and incorporating it into outdoor retreats, different uh, events that she has for various groups. Yeah, so,
3: I, I think she spoke even this year in Mankato at the Newman Center there. If I, I, I think it was this year. So she, she is a very gifted speaker, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as always, I want to remind people that uh, any of this, today's segments can be found later on today at realpresenceradio.com. So if you missed an interview or you just want to go back and listen to the show, you can do that at realpresenceradio.com. And we want to thank also those who uh, again, supported real presence radio during our recent live drive we had a good time doing that we father did jason that was kern.
3: fun that was uh, it's a, it was a good memory it made it easy to say i want to do it again with you uh today so yeah, yeah thank you well you
1: did a fantastic <laughs> job and if people want to still donate they can do so again at realpresenceradio.com uh some uh, if, uh, father jason kern Since we have a priest here would you like to give a blessing a priestly blessing to uh, myself and those listening let's do it
3: uh, let us pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, let your grace and peace shine in our hearts today. Let it be with us uh, now and always. May you continue to teach us to love you and serve you in all things. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son,
0: and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. More to life up next. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network.